Do you love lavender? We talked to Nancy Baggett, award-winning cookbook author, food journalist, and photographer about her new book, The Art of Cooking with Lavender. It's on tip of the tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. We're here today with Nancy Baggett. Nancy is an award-winning cookbook author and food journalist and photographer. She has written a wonderful book called The Art of Cooking with Lavender. It's an eye-opening book and we're going to talk about it today. Welcome, Nancy. Hi, thanks for having me on the show. So I want to know how you got interested in writing about lavender. You've written so many other books, and they're sort of all over the place. And then this is a very focused book. So how did that happen? Well, you may remember, most people remember, the dreaded 90s where everybody was into low fat and low salt and oh, yes. low sugar. Yes, yes. And as the cookbook author, I was tasked with, well, how do you make food taste good? And so herbs and spices are the most obvious answer. And I, I had learned how to use them very well, except that I didn't know much about using lavender. And I said, well, as a professional, you should you should investigate this. And as soon as I got, you know, the first looks at fresh lavender plants and went to lavender fields, I was hooked. It is such a beautiful herb amongst other things. And then I got to to wondering, well, why, you know, why is it overlooked? And we can talk about some of the reasons why maybe it has been overlooked. But in fact, and and one of the reasons is, is that there are several kinds of lavender. The typical French lavender, 80% of which is called lavandin, is actually not particularly good for culinary. It's too strong. It's grown for the cosmetic industry, perfumes, lotions, mm-hmm. that kind of uh-huh. thing. So it's not tasty. It's, it's too camphorous and it's has a an enormously powerful scent, which is actually kind of overpowering. So you actually have to go to what is the misnomer is called English lavender. It's not that it grows better in England. It's because it is more cold tolerant and will grow in England, but or it's called Le Vendrée in French uh, or true lavender. And that's really the better, the better nomenclature because it's, they're all Mediterranean herbs, uh, but the the angustifolia is really the one you want for cooking. So people who have had a bad experience not cooking with culinary lavender, that might be part of the reason, but I have a theory about other reasons too, why it's overlooked. What are those theories? Okay, well, it lavender actually has some antimicrobial properties. That means it was good for healing and in centuries prior to ours where we have medicines. So it was used as a a house cleaner, 
um, a freshen up. Uh, Elizabeth I was known for keeping lavender all over the place in her castles, and I imagine they were pretty unpleasant smelling, and uh, to be frank, and so lavender was used as a scent. Lavender also during the Middle Ages was was used. Um, people, the lavender, the French industry is really much more modern than we might think. And But towns would contract with the people up in the mountains where the lavender grew, real lavender grew, you know, uncultivated. And they would contract for the, the peasant women up in, in the mountains to pick it and bring it down. And then it would be there for if they had ailments or plagues that happened to, to hit. So it didn't have, it didn't come in as a culinary herb, but in fact, cherry lavender and gustifolias are the, or what the technical name of them. And actually not all in gustifolias to make it even more confusing are as good as others. Um, uh -huh. So some don't taste as good as others, but if you get a good in gustifolia, good for cooking, that is, it is magnificent. It has like um, not as many components as, say, vanilla, which has over 300 components, aroma and, and flavor components, has over 100. And if you pair lavender hub with all of those things that it goes with, it's wonderful. And I can spend the rest of the time talking about what those <laughs> are. So in something that we may be just generally familiar with, herbs de Provence, that blend that doesn't have the lavender in it, right? That has the... It depends. Okay. Um, it depends. One of the things I do tell people is uh, Americans um, or North Americans, to be specific, um, it's really better these days to buy your lavender from an American farm. Uh, not only are you supporting American farmers, but they're like hundreds now across the country and they um, many of them do sell online as well as in their summer shops some are open year-round mostly not you have it's a mom and pop operation oftentimes the quality of the lavender they will grow and gustifolia not just the lavender and so they will grow uh, lots of them do anyway and you can get a fresh product and you're going to get a better product. When you buy, go online and buy from France, it actually may not even be grown in France. It may just mean it's packaged in France. And as I say, 80% of what the French grow is actually for the cosmetic industry. So it's not really the kind of lavender that you want. And um, they would actually put that in their blends? Sure. Ugh, okay. Sure. It's possible. For, for one thing, it's in, in many of the the uh, herb de Provence mixtures, it's actually not a major ingredient. So uh, a little of it probably wouldn't matter. And in fact, um, I've gotten the impression, I haven't nailed it down, but my impression is that some of the French uh, herb de Provence mi mixtures are really, they really add the lavender because Americans like it. You know, it's a, it's a, <laughs> It's a marketing tool. And I, when I was there, I actually asked 
some French cooks, well, did you grow up cooking with lavender? And there were some who said, no, nobody did that. And then there were other people who said, yes, well, my mother did. We we went out and actually I was amazed to find that you could walk along, stop at the side of the road in Provence and you could see La Vendrée, that is the, the original, you know, wild uh, angustifolia growing by the side of the road. And they said, yeah, my mother would throw that in. So some people did, some people didn't, but they don't have the long tradition of cooking with it. And it it is a shame because it's an amazing herb. Yes. Well, that that is really an interesting historical note that yeah. they didn't really, because they certainly promote it as though they just really, they'll, you know, eat all of these special things, which is well, it's too bad. Um, so one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is the photography in your book, because your book really is like the best introduction to really cooking with lavender that I have ever seen. Oh, um, thank you so much. That's great to hear. Really thorough. You cover all the different kinds of things from teas and other drinks and syrups and things to, um, cooking with savory as well as sweet and mm -hmm. some of your your photographs on Facebook of the cookies that you make now beyond the flavor obviously I'm not tasting them on Facebook right they're so beautiful so you're really an artist besides <laughs> so Thank you. that's something that really really led me to the book was seeing your pictures on Facebook of some of the cookies and other things that you've posted. So I want to ask you about the photography. You've been doing photography for a while now, not just for this book, but how has that helped you in writing cookbooks? Well, it's, it's changed my perspective completely. It was about, it's taken me about 11 years now to, to get where I am in photography. And I get, you know, I'm still learning every day and um, still, you know, mostly shoot with natural light. And as I just said at a conference, you know, if you're a professional, you you can't wait for a sunny day. So that certainly means <laughs> that I'm not professional as some professionals are. But yes, I do take a great deal of care. And um, I just I look at good photography and I analyze it and I belong to a group of food stylists because a lot of what makes beauty shots, those are the close-up shots of recipes, makes them beautiful is, of course, the lighting has to be good and your, your focus has to be good. But you also have to have successful propping and successful, um, you know, can be defined in many ways. But my take is it has to make the person who looks at, you, you know, you have the problem of they can't smell it, they can't taste it and they can't touch it. So how do you make it look appetizing? And so I just did a workshop at a conference that I, Lavender Conference uh, two weeks ago. And I talked about all of those things is you want the person to be able to feel like they could just sit down to the table or they could just reach in and get that drink and take a taste. So, so you want a sense of immediacy. You want, um, you know, props that suggest 
the scene? Is it a homey winter scene? Is it a cool, calm, refreshing summer on the porch meal? Mm -hmm. uh, so the props that you choose, um, and also, of course, making the food look good. Um, you know, I, I once did a TV show where the person who made the, I was coming into town <laughs> and the person had burned the food, uh, the brownies. And so there's really, once it's burned, there's nothing you can do. Uh, so, so in any case, you, um, you know, what you select and, and how appetizing you, the food looks is really critical. So all of those things I've gotten better at. I hope I've gotten better at. And uh, I'm just shooting now for a new little gift book I'm working on. And so I'm right in the middle of it. And yeah, it, it's like you want to set a scene. You want to convey as much as you can about how that might taste, how you might serve it, how it might fit in a menu as you can. So do you have a prop closet? I do. I have actually a, a screen porch, a year round screen porch. So it's got windows, you know, glass windows in it. <laughs> it looks like a curio shop in here. <laughs> so yes. And then I have overflow in a, a cupboard in my kitchen and I have a overflow on some bookshelves in my office. Um, so yes, you, you do need props. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so uh, getting back to the book, um, one of the things that I want to talk to you about is the recipe that is jeweled rice pilaf. Yeah. Um, that one really, really drew me in because it has saffron in it too. And I love saffron. So the idea of pairing saffron with lavender is something I never, ever would have thought of. So how is, did you make up this recipe or is this a traditional Persian recipe? It is. It is based on a Persian recipe and I did alter it to some extent to accommodate the, the components, the flavor notes. I talked about that earlier. Lavender has so many. And one of the components that it has is in many of the good tasting angustifolias is an anise kind of quality. Um, it also has a lot of the same herbal qualities that other ingredients that are normally paired with saffron, like thyme, for example, um, uh, sometimes maybe oregano, the, the curry kinds of elements. Lavender has many of these and ginger, for example, was amazing to me and I didn't discover it right away. There's always aha moments. When I first began the book, I went and I thought about every ingredient that I could think of in my kitchen and I paired it with lavender to see. And I was amazed it worked with so many things. Ginger, as I said, though, is one. And so you put some of the components that are in the typical Persian rice, you drop out the ones that uh, that don't really um, interact well with lavender, and you, you get a, a really nice quality. Now, one of the things that's in that jeweled rice, if I recall correctly, is orange, maybe some orange zest. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that's a good tip to know is that lavender goes beautifully. People seem to know about lavender lemonade and they love it. Limeade's good too. They don't seem to know that. But lavender actually goes with almost every fruit you can think of. 
I wouldn't have known in the beginning. It's great with pineapple. It's wonderful with pears. Good with pomegranate. I think in um, one of my more recent uh, recipes that has um, pomegranate juice in a smoothie and it's got some lavender in there and they're really good together. And oranges, all, all the citrus, but almost all of the, the stone fruits as well, apricots, peaches, plums in particular seem to go great with that. So, you know, you, you just have this incredible range. And of course, savory dishes can have sweet components to sure. them. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a barbecue sauce. Well, one recipe that I w- fiddled with a bit, I wanted to do a fall mulled apple cider kind of recipe to take to events that I do in the fall. And the traditional um, apple cider recipes that I tried didn't work all that well. And so I, again, took that same little step of, well, what are the components that go really well with lavender and left them in and put the lavender in and I take it and it always disappears. And people go, this lavender, this cider, this is really, really good. It's a little different, but it's really, really good. So, you know, um, it, it's really quite interesting. I'm really working with the chemistry to some extent, even though I'm not a chemist. I just know, oh, some of the same properties that are in ginger are in lavender. And by the way, I just came up in, within the last year with a syrup that's a lavender ginger syrup. There's a, in the book that you have, there's a lavender fruit syrup and you can use different berries and fruits, but the lavender ginger syrup is not in there. Lavender ginger are just amazing. It's almost, you come up with an affinity that such that it's different from either one. You go, mm-hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. oh, this is unique. What is this? So it, so I'm always, you know, exploring and coming up with new stuff. Well, you know, I, I'm half Sicilian and I just published a cookbook not too long ago called Nana's Creole Italian Table. And it talks about the Sicilian influence in New Orleans, which is huge and yeah. um, how it kind of merged with New Orleans food and how it changed both of them. Anyway, one of the things that I grew up eating is fruit in savory dishes because that's a very Sicilian thing. And so, but not with lavender. There was a lot of rosemary. And I, I wonder whether the leaves of lavender, which to me are kind of like rosemary, could be used at all. Um, well, it's interesting because um, I should mention that, that lavender is one of the few herbs where you're actually using the flower heads, right. which are technically called the spikes. And normally they'll pull the little bloom heads. The part on the end are called corollas, the little flowery purple parts. And then the part below that are called the calyxes. And normally the little blooms fall off and then you're left with the calyxes, which people call buds. It's easier to sell lavender buds than calyxes, right? Right. right. <laughs> um, so they're called buds, but those are where most of the oil sacs, the little essential oil sacs are in lavender. The flower, um, that's why the flower heads are normally used. It's unusual. I mean, in most cases, the leaves are the part that right. you using herbs and that's why most of the uh, floral 
either flavors or aromas are in those from come from those little oil sacs which are in the buds. Um, that said, there is nothing wrong. There are some herbalists who were taught uh, that oh no, you can't lose, you can't use the leaves of lavender. And when I started, I was like, why? And so I went to a physician friend who owns a lavender farm, and he said, what's that about? And he said, oh, it's people think that, but it's it's just that if you want the kick, the real kick of lavender, you want the bud. So no, I I don't. But what I do want to say is, so I don't think that using the leaves is going to make it more like rosemary. However, lavender and rosemary are in the same mint family. They are all part of the larger mint family. And in fact, one of the things that works extremely well, I just have a recipe um, uh, that I created again within the last year that is a, a honey roasted nuts and there's both lavender and uh, rosemary in that recipe. Mm -hmm. And that's because they too have an affinity for one another. And in a way, uh, combining the two is kind of a bridge for the people with taste buds who find lavender very exotic. If you blend lavender and rosemary, they'll go, yeah, it's a little unique, but I I I get that. Um, so that's a technique. Um, it's also lavender can because it's in the mint family. It can go with mint. However, what I found is if you put if you put lavender with much mint, mint will just overpower. Yeah. So um, and and a lot of rosemary will too. But yes, you can use. People um, sometimes say, and it is a way to begin if you're trying to explore okay, this bean soup has some rosemary in there. Could I put some lavender in there too or in instead? And the answer is usually yes, you can because they do have some of the same um, characteristics. Chemicals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I'm also wanting to talk to you about your tomato soup. The, okay. tomato, the tomato soup, I made the tomato soup and I haven't made every single thing because I haven't had the book that long. But um, no, you have not. You've been busy. But the tomato soup is just wonderful, and I I just think that it's a surprise to think of putting lavender in tomato soup. So the idea that one of the things that I love about the book is that so many of the 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 recipes are surprises and they still taste wonderful. It's like you're opening up the mind, you know, to be Thank ready you. to accept lavender in different ways. That's so, here. <laughs> so one of the other things I wanted to ask you is about using lavender honey. Um, so how much of the actual lavender flavor do you think comes through in honey? Well, that's an interesting question. And if you go to a lavender farm or gift shop, you will find one of two things. Um, you will find, or or maybe no lavender, no honey at all. But if you find lavender honey, it can be either lavender infused honey or lavender honey. And the, the difference is that if it's lavender honey, presumably they got the honey from bees that were feasting on the lavender in the fields. That takes a lot of fields, takes mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of fields. 
So another common, common approach is to take lavender buds and actually steep honey with the lavender buds. And then that will impart some of the flavor from the buds. There is a third way of doing it, which I am greatly opposed to, which I should mention right here. I mentioned that the little, those little buds are what are the key ingredient to be cooking with. Um, there are people who do process and sell lavender essential oils. Some of those are for cosmetic purposes. Some they will tell you, oh, this is from Melissa, which is a culinary lavender. You could use it for cooking. I do not recommend using essential oils for cooking at all. It is too intense, very, very intense. The other thing is most of the time, lavender, the processing to get the essential oil is done with high heat. And I have found, I've seen it done, and it's a steam method, high heat. And that actually does destroy some of the wonderful, most wonderful elements of lavender, both its aroma and its taste properties, some of which are destroyed. So I do not recommend buying lavender honey that has been, I tried it, I went, no, not liking that. The lavender buds on the other hand, that's a perfectly legitimate way to take honey, warm it up, steep it with the buds, then pour it off and then sell lavender honey. That's great. So it all depends on what you're getting. It's the hardest to find and the most expensive is the lavender that honey that comes from the bees. I actually, the best I have found, I have not tried it that many, excuse me, have not tried it that many times um, uh, at lavender farms. They haven't had uh, what, you know, the, the honey that was from the farm mm -hmm. uh, or the, with, that wasn't infused. But I bought some back from France that was incredible. And in fact, the guy tried to get me to buy a larger jar. And I said, no, the small jar is fine. And I really regretted it later because <laughs> it was wonderful. So it can be really good. But again, it's really a function. And the, the growers that I know that do sell it say, oh, it sells out. Even though it's pricey, it sells right out if they grow it. But the, the infusing actually with the buds, that's a perfectly legitimate um, and good product too. So it all depends on your product. But I, if, if, it said, if it says lavender infused and it doesn't specifically say how, I, I would ask the person in the shop, does that mean, you know, it's, you put a drop of essential oil in here or does this mean you steeped it in buds? Because that makes a big difference. Right. That's kind of like truffle oil. Is it yep. really truffles or does it have some chemicals that taste like that? Exactly, like which they sort of do, but really don't. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that it's such an interesting specialty. Do you feel like now you're in the lavender mold? Are you still doing other things besides um, lavender? No, mostly, uh, mostly I'm doing the lavender. Um I, I do a, um, a newsletter that comes out quarterly and I have been surprised. I thought that is really a small niche and it's really mostly directed to the lavender growers who are the, are the people who carry, generally speaking, I mean, I sell it on Amazon, but largely my book, which is sold pretty well, 
because people come in the lavender shops and they go, oh, I like this book. I'm going to buy it. So it's done very well. And, and so I really started a newsletter and I come out quarterly. And every quarter, it's it'll mostly be seasonal recipes and something new for them to learn. Because what I'm assuming is they have customers who come in their shops and they want to learn too. And so if I have educated customers, they know how to educate their customers. So the newsletter is going. And then I'm, as I say, the, uh, I, I, you know, do the photography all the time you know, for the, for the newsletter. And I am working on a new little cookbook. And of course I'm posting on Instagram and Facebook, blah, blah, blah. So, so mostly lavender. Yeah. It's takes up all my time. And, and the other thing is that I do have a little patch I'm limited in the space that I have, and I only grow culinary lavender, but that's one of the high points of my year to go to my patch. And usually it takes me four to six hours total in maybe two or three different um, events to go and harvest. It's like the highlight, the highlight of my year. It's just so wonderful. Uh, do you get pounds and pounds? What oh, no, no. Your, what is your yield? Generally speaking, I keep mine for bunches because I use it in the photography. I actually, for the, I do harvest some um, and I do, I have some um, posts where I video posts where I show how to harvest it. But generally I do buy my buds from growers that I know and I save mine since I don't have that much. I, let's see, I probably get, 100 to 150 bunches oh. total and uh -huh. some years um, i'm thinking i had some 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 in maryland it's not that easy to grow lavender um, because we have the very hot humid the bermuda high kinds of summers that basically take a lot out of lavender and sometimes even kill it and then that weakens it and then the cold winters do kill it so, um, you know, it's it's the people who grow lavender in Maryland, unlike, I mean, I hear like from my friends out on the Northwest in, in certain places where they have enough sun and not too much water that, uh, oh, it grows like a weed. Well, it does not grow like a weed here. Um, you need to coddle it. But uh, so it depends, you know, some years I have a great crop, maybe a hundred, you know, hundred or more than a hundred, sometimes it's less, but that gives me some to give away, some to turn into, you know, photos. Uh, and, and I do, I do give away uh, a lot. It does not grow well here in New Orleans either. It's way. Oh, I'm sure wet. it doesn't. Yeah, yeah I'm sure it doesn't. Too hot. too hot. Yeah, but the it wet, probably. I think, also makes it mildew horribly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's correct. It would. I don't know of. Um, do you know if there are any lavender farmers in the in the state? I don't I don't believe that there are I, I don't see how they could they could make it work there are you know they're almost all the states now with the exception of Alaska even upper north you would think can't do it but they can um, but they have to work and a lot of them do cover their fields but the the humidity from the the deep south is, is an issue it no. definitely is no Whereas rosemary is like a weed. It's not um, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I've I've tried to grow lavender more just for 
walking past it and having it smell wonderful. Um, yeah. But it just, it I, I've given up because- Yeah, I, people can say, buy if you love it, buy it. Uh, and you know, the climate isn't appropriate. Right. Buy it as an annual, enjoy it, and then buy yeah, it. Yeah, that's all you can do. That's really that's really all you can do. So if somebody is interested in getting your newsletter, how do they do that? That's very easy. They just go to www.nancyslavenderplace, no apostrophe in there, nancyslavenderplace.com. And there's a place right up there that says you want to get the newsletter. And it is, you know, recipes are and the information is sometimes directed to lavender growers. But the recipes that I give them are not scaled up. Those are like here, try it. If you like it, it might be something that you want to make for your customers because some of them do have open houses, like I say that. The, the lavender uh, apple cider, for example, that was something that I thought, oh, you know, they often have open houses in the fall. That might be something they'd want to, um, you know, get their customers to have a taste of. Um, or even they could even make a, a lavender spice packet and sell that to their customers. So I, I'm always thinking of them, but the recipes are perfectly fine for anybody. And I've been surprised. I mean, the, the list keeps growing, so it's great. And and of course, they get to see the, the picture of what it's going to look like too. And I did start, as I say, about 11 years ago. And I, I came to the conclusion that nowadays with everything moving to the internet, that a recipe alone just didn't tell the story. You needed to have a picture to tell the story of most recipes. Well, this book is really great. I know you can get it on Amazon. Can you get it on your website too? Yes, you can. Okay. Although at the at this very moment, I'm changing. It's out of stock. I just was told by the distributor that it's come it's come in as of yesterday. So by the time we get the website up link up again and posted, it'll be probably closer to the end of the month. But yes, you can buy it off my website. You can buy it individual copies it, they, for those who you know have a shop or want to have an event and uh, use it that way. I do sell wholesale. Most most of my lavender growers, of course, right, it. right. So. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about this. I feel like I have discovered something that I am going to be playing with for a while, which That's is great. really really exciting because it's always fun to have something new that you haven't really done before and get to explore. So right. thank you very much for writing this book and thanks for being on Tip of the Tongue, Nancy. Thank you, Liz. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue, part of the Nitty Grits Network of the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans. Learn more and subscribe to this and other podcasts at southernfood.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Find us on Facebook on Nitty Grits Podcasts. I'm Liz Williams. Thanks for listening.